The phrase all in is a phrase that actually originated, I understand, from poker. Uh, it describes the moment where a player, for one reason or another, pushes all of their chips into the middle. Uh, they bet all of their chips on a single hand. And there's two options when someone goes all in. Uh, you either win or you lose everything. That's how it works. And this phrase, all in, has uh, kind of spread through society and we use it in lots of different contexts now. But the reality is that I think it's a good summary of the kind of commitment that Jesus calls for from us in the Gospels. Um, he wants everything or nothing. He wants everything or nothing. Now, obviously, he wants everything more from you, but that's, that's the verse, isn't it, in Revelation? That don't give me lukewarm. Give me hot, give me cold. He wants everything or nothing. And what's interesting is we have a tendency to moderate our commitment to him. That's what we do. We, we, uh, if, if you're a Christian, you, you would understand this. We want to be serious but not too serious, all right? You want to be serious, but not too serious. Kind of be, be in, but hedge your bets a little bit. You don't know what I'm talking about? We, we just want to leave the back door slightly ajar, just in case it doesn't work out the way that we think it should or the way that we want it to work out. But I want to say to you this morning that um, Jesus won't have it. He just won't have you do that. You can't do that to Jesus. He won't let you. I remember my dad saying years ago that too many Christians have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and they're not happy in either. And there's some truth to that. Um, do you understand a bit of, uh, of what my dad was talking about? Today we're going to look at the last section in uh, John chapter 6. Next week we've got Compassion Sunday. Pete Milliken is going to uh, prepare us for Easter and then take us through Easter and out the other side. Um, this, is, uh, this is my last time in the saddle on Sunday morning for a little while. Uh, it's been a real treat for us to work through John chapter 6 and to, and to talk about the things that Jesus talks about in John chapter 6. Um, we, we made a bit of a change uh, at the church where we, uh, we moved into the building, changed our name, and we were kind of all set up and ready to go um, to talk about a whole bunch of things that are relevant to who we are as Restoration Church. And then we just went, eh, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to get into some good, normal church rhythms, get into John chapter 6. And I want to say to you, I think John chapter 6 has been really, really timely for us. And in John chapter 6, you're going to see this today. Jesus works us to a crescendo in the stuff that he's saying in John chapter 6. And I think it's a crescendo that Jesus wants us to join him in as a whole church. Uh, it's another time where Jesus calls upon us to reaffirm our commitment to him. And in John 6, you're going to hear Jesus ask you this. Um, in today's message, are you, are you all in? Are you all in? If you've got your Bibles there, turn to uh, John chapter 6. You're going to start at verse 51. John chapter 6, verse 51. We're going to read the rest of John chapter 6. So it really would be good if you had a Bible in front of you uh, to follow along. It's good to have a Bible with you. Good to bring one with you. Good to download an app. Uh, don't just take my word for it, all right? Because if, 
if what I'm saying is uh, what God says, then it's binding upon you and you're going to answer for it. In fact, you'll answer for not doing anything about it too. If you hear what God has to say and you don't do anything, you'll answer for that as well. There's life in it, but you actually have to engage with the life that's there and respond to it yourself. So it's good for you to have a Bible open, to read through things and to see what I'm talking about with your own eyes. John chapter 6, starting at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Does that sound good? Anyone want to live forever? I could really live? Yeah. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's full on, right? Whoever, he just keeps going. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Can you see what Jesus is doing? He's had all this discourse about how he's bred and how you can get life through him and he's pushing people. He's pushing people to do something with it. Um, Whoever, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is great. This is really good preaching, Jesus. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, noting here that there were disciples that Jesus had which weren't the 12 disciples, okay? And they're struggling at this point. But Jesus, knowing in himself, verse 61, that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, he really knows how to work a crowd, Jesus, doesn't he? Uh, So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, is going to betray Jesus. Here's what we're going to look at first today. We're going to look at eating and drinking Jesus. Have a look at verse 51 to 53. What does Jesus say? He says, uh, Truly, truly, this is verse 53, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What's Jesus doing? Well, the whole way through John chapter 6, Jesus has been telling people that he's the bread. He's the true bread. And what he's doing here is he's pushing the metaphor 
to the absolute limit. Um, and the reason why he's pushing this metaphor to the limit is because I think he's wanting his listeners to make a decision. He wants his listeners to make a decision. Because there's a tendency for, uh, for people to sit in armchairs and critique things and not actually do anything with it. I mean, I'm a great tennis player when I'm sitting in my recliner chair watching the tennis, all right? And a very different tennis player when I, when I hop onto a court. You know, we have this tendency, don't we, as humans, to listen to something and perhaps even comment on whether we like it or not and then to actually do nothing about it. We don't just do it with Jesus' words, we do it all over the place. What, have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever had a moment where you just kind of sit back, you're not really engaged, you've got a few thoughts and comments and maybe you engage in some kind of dialogue about it but you don't really do anything differently when it comes to Jesus? If you've ever had some of those moments then you probably have had moments where you found me and other preachers annoying all right because that's what a good preacher does is a good preacher presses on you to do something with what you've heard and you've probably found Jesus to be really annoying too because that's what he does now he's not always annoying you probably like a lot of things that he says and you respond well to it but in those moments where it's armchair Christianity where you're not really engaging with it he presses you he presses you to do something about it he he has a way of pushing things until you make a decision about what you're going to do. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is doing with the crowd here. Now, how does he do it? He does it using the metaphor of eating and drinking. That's what he does. So what I want to do is I want to... Um, I'm just going to slip into a little science lesson for a minute here at church. All right? And I'm not an expert scientist, but I have done some reading. And I'm very familiar with the very thing I'm going to talk about. And it's digestion. Okay? Digestion. So let me, let me put a picture up on the, on the screen for you. If that grosses you out, you can just look away. This is the digestive system. Let me tell you how the digestive system works. We need food for our bodies, for energy, to grow, to heal, to repair. And, um, and scientists tell us that the digestive system is kind of, this is my way of saying it, it's kind of like a long tube that's up to 10 metres long, Okay. And lots of different things happen along the way. So you start in the mouth, food gets chewed, saliva is added, the, uh, the esophagus, the muscles in the esophagus move it down into the stomach and then in the stomach you have some gastric juices go in there and there's kind of a physical kind of churning and also a, a chemical uh, kind of churning and breaking down that goes on. Uh, it moves into the small intestine where the addition of more digestive enzymes happens and the, the food's broken down even more, and it, in the small intestine, is absorbed into the bloodstream. And the blood carries the nutrients to every cell in the body. Then we get to things, things that boys like to joke about and girls find gross. All right, so we just won't go there today. Um, so back to John 6. So what is... What does Jesus mean when he says that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Good question, right? What does he, what does he mean? Well, off the, off the bat, some of you might go, uh, is, he, is he promoting a strange kind of cannibalism? Is that what he's doing? Uh, might seem like it on the surface. 
But remember, Jesus is using a metaphor here, and you're not meant to take a metaphor literally. Uh, that's the way that metaphors work. If you were a Jew that was listening to Jesus, what would you understand as Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Well, that would, be, that would have been offensive to the Jews, right? Because in the law of Moses, you don't eat meat with the blood in it. And you certainly don't drink blood. Uh, the idea uh, of blood for the Jews was connected to sacrifice and death, not sacrifice and life. Uh, it would have messed with their heads. And then there are some in our day um, who believe this eating and drinking of Jesus is literally about taking communion. And I've had lots of conversations with friends about this where they, they've told me, they said the bread and the wine of communion actually become the body and the blood of Jesus. And it's by taking communion that we have life. Now, what they kind of say, and this is the conversations I've had with friends of mine, is that it's actually in, it's in communion that life itself actually exists. Now, let me, let me just say this. I think this passage is, has a lot to say about communion. It has a lot to do with communion. And I do think that if you love Jesus, you should be taking communion regularly. But I don't think you can make John chapter 6, and I'm just kind of taking a little sidetrack for a sec just to speak to this. I don't think you can take John chapter 6 in a literal communion kind of way, as though the, the, the bread and the juice or the bread and the wine become the literal body and blood of Christ. Let me give you a couple of reasons. If you want to have a longer conversation with me afterwards, happy to do that. Here's the first one. In verse 53, the verse that I read before, unless you eat my flesh, the Greek word used for flesh is sarks. And the word, the Greek word sarks is never used anywhere in the whole of the New Testament in the context of communion. A different word's used and the word that's actually translated into English, the word is soma that is used, and that word is translated into English as body. So Jesus is actually using a word here that is very different to the Greek word that's used to describe body in all of the other places in the New Testament that talk about communion. And then the second thing, and I think this is, this is the most compelling thing, is you've got to um, appreciate that John has ways of saying the same thing in different ways, and the technical term for it is synonymous parallelism. And so what you actually see in this passage is uh, Jesus talking about the same thing in John 6, 54, as he's talking about in John 6, verse 40. What does he say in John 6, verse 40? It's almost exactly the same saying. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Look at what he says in John 6, 54, the very next one after 53 that we read before. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. This is the last thing I'll say about this notion of the way that some people understand communion. If you understand Jesus is talking about body and flesh in a literal way, you can't actually reconcile both of those two scriptures. They actually contradict each other. Okay, because one of them actually talks about you get eternal life by looking to and believing. The other one, if it's actually talking about literal communion, it's saying you get eternal life by taking communion. And I'd go, which one is it? Because we're talking about a metaphor here and I think it makes the most sense to say, what does it mean 
is we're going to go here in a minute. What does it mean to feed on Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? It means to look to him and believe in him. That's what John's saying. That's exactly what John's saying. Verse 54 is the metaphorical way of doing verse 40. Uh, Augustine wrote this about this passage. Believe and you have eaten. That's what he wrote. Believe and you have eaten. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that life exists in taking communion. Eating and drinking is a metaphor for something else. What is it? Well, I've already uh, given you a heads up about it. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. It goes back to the nature of what it means to eat and drink. What does it mean to eat and drink? Well, there's a word I want to use here, but it's going to create a whole bunch of weird associations for you if I use it. But you know the word I really want to use? I really want to use the word intimate. I want to use the word intimate. And I hesitate a bit because whenever you use the word intimate, people think about, a lot of people think about sex and sexuality. But intimate is a far broader word than that. At the core, intimate actually means private and personal. And you can kind of see how we've ended up with talking uh, about sex and sexual encounters uh, using the word intimate because they're very private and they're very personal. But I want to say to you this morning that your interaction, this might weird you out a bit, but it's true, right? Your interaction with food and drink is far more intimate than the most intimate uh, physical thing that you can do. It's way more intimate than sitting and having a conversation with someone else. In each of those things, the two people kind of still say, stay separate. They don't actually become one kind of part of each other in a deep kind of cellular kind of way. When you eat and drink, what you eat and drink literally becomes part of you at a cellular level. And that is like crazy, crazy intimate. There's a profound depth to it. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood? This is what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about a deeply personal, intimate acceptance of who he is. You have to take him in like food and drink. That's what he's saying. And it begs the question, right? Do you want him that close? Do you want him that close? Do you, do you want him to make his way, like food and drink does in your body, do you want him to make his way into every nook and cranny of your life? Do you? Well, this is like praying for patience, right? <laughs> I've never, ever, I don't think ever spoken to someone who's been thankful that they prayed the prayer for patience, right? Because you get all these other things with it that you didn't realise you were going to get. You just wanted the patience, right? You know, you think about, do you really want Jesus that close? Oh, I believe a lot of you would say, yes, I do. But maybe there's some that would hesitate. Oh, I'm going to let you off the hook. You don't have to answer yet. We'll come back to those at the end. I want to unpack a little bit more. I want to go on to eating and drinking for life. You know, the reason we physically eat and drink is so we can live. You stop eating and drinking long enough, what happens? 
That's crowd participation time. If you stop eating and drinking for long enough, what happens? You die. You die. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that's in a physical sense, but Jesus is flagging here that we, we are made to eat and drink for our soul's benefit, for life. You know, but here's the reality, and here's the sad reality. Um, we don't just eat and drink Jesus. We don't just bring Jesus close in our souls eating and drinking. We actually bring close. We eat and drink whatever we think will give us life. And I'm not talking about physical life. I'm talking about your, your soul here. You can probably see this pattern in yourself and others. So when it comes to our souls... We always eat whatever we think will bring us life. I'm talking about the stuff that will bring our souls life. You know, we know at a physical level, and I think at a soul level, that we need life from outside of us to make things go. And so what do we do? We bring things close. In a physical sense, we bring food and drink close, and it actually gives us life because we can't survive without it. But it happens in a spiritual soul sense as well. We bring things close to us. We feed on them to get life. You know, Jesus has referred in John 6 to lots of, on lots of occasions to bread which doesn't give sustained life. In verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. You know, there's a tendency within humanity, and you can see it in John chapter 6 here, that we go after things that we think are going to give us life, and they don't. Certainly not the way that we want it to be. You know, some of you might go, well, Peter, you're saying that people uh, gather things and they feed on things in order to get life. Well, what about people who, who feed on things which kill them? Why, why do they bring death close? Well, you need to know something, and you know it uh, already, um, that it's not normal for people to feed on something and to bring it close, something they know is going to hurt them. Um, but humans just don't do that very much at all. But it is normal, isn't it, for us to think that we're getting life when we're getting death. <laughs> isn't it? This is, this is Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Its end is the way to death. You know, you look around, you probably can see patterns in your own life where humanity feeds on something in the hope that it will bring life and it actually just brings death to them. And the reason why they're feeding on it is because they've been deceived and we get deceived into thinking that life exists in the thing that we're actually feeding on. I mean, there's even times where we know that there's a good portion of death in the thing that we're feeding on, but we kind of think the life that it's going to get us is going to override and go over the top of the death, and we kind of go, I can, I can take the hit on the death as long as I get the bit that I think is life, only finding out in the end that it's actually death. The whole thing's death. You know, it's, when we look at, at, at Scripture and we look at humanity... We have to be honest and say that there's a thing in humanity, there's a reality that's common in humanity where we feed on death in the hope that it's actually going to bring us life. You make it personal. 
What are you feeding on in the hope it will bring you life? Is it, is it bringing life? Or death? And some of you go, ahead. how would I know what it is that I'm feeding on in the hope it'll bring life? Well, what's your calendar look like? We could start there, right? Where, where does most of your time go? What about your money? Where does most of your money go? About energy. Where do you spend most of that? Or or your thought life? What do you what do you think about or daydream about the most? And I could sum it all up by asking this question, what do you sacrifice the most for? That's the thing that you're feeding on. You know, and some of you might even go at that point you just go, Well done, Pete, it's a free hit, right? You can always get people on that stuff. Right? You can always catch people out on that. You know, you you might be sitting there going, yeah, but aren't there things that aren't directly Jesus that God's called us to do? You know, there's things that you sacrifice for that uh, that you need to do which aren't directly Jesus, such as family or helping others or earning a living. And they are significant things. They consume a lot of time, energy, thought and effort and I can understand that but what I want you to do is stay in John 6 and go back to the manna, right? The problem that the Jews had with the manna, the Israelites in the Old Testament is they didn't look through it to see Jesus. They were meant to see Jesus, they were meant to see God in the provision of the manna and they didn't and you and I, when it's Sometimes with pastors, right, people go, oh, it's easy for you because you actually work for God, you know. Um, He's a tough boss. He's a gracious one, but uh, he's got some high standards. Um, You go back to the early part of John chapter 6, and and what are we supposed to do? Well, the Jews... We're meant to look through the matter to see God and you and I are meant to look through everything you do to serve Jesus in everything. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're meant to serve Jesus in everything. And I want to say this to you, and this is a really direct statement and um, probably being a little irritating for you today, but I'm, I'm just wanting to fit in with the, the kind of the tenor of Jesus here. It's just pushing you to make a decision. Any sacrifice you make which is not ultimately made for Jesus' sake is a sacrifice to an idol. Do you hear that? So you go, you say my family, my work, my dot, dot, dot can be an idol and I say yes. (laughs) If that's the terminus, if that thing is where it terminates, if that thing is the point, and you're sacrificing for it, and it never goes beyond that. You don't look through that to be a good father, a good mother, for Jesus' sake, to steward the young uh, individuals that God's put in your, in your family. You're saying that your work can be a problem? I say, yeah, your work can be a problem. If you're at work and you don't think about the fact that you're at work there to serve Jesus, and that you worship unceasingly all of the time, and you just want to offer your whole life to Jesus, whatever sphere you actually find yourself in, 
You know, I'm not saying that you can't do things outside of religious things. I'm just saying that Jesus needs to be the orienting center of your life. And if something else captures you, if you sacrifice for something else and you terminate on that thing and you don't push through it to Jesus, and there's some things probably that some of you are doing that you can't push through to Jesus. Because you just need to stop what you're doing. It's the wrong thing to do. Just stop doing it. But there's a whole bunch of good things in your life, like the manner where you need to push through it and you need to see Jesus in it. There is only one way to get life. You have to get Jesus. (laughs) Everything else, even when it looks like life, is just going to be death for you if you don't get Jesus. This is John 6, 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, listen to these last words, you have no life in you. If you you don't know Jesus, you need to hear this. There is only one way to get life deep down inside of you, and that's by listening to the words of Jesus. Look at how life just sprouts up all over the place here. 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. John 6, 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Whoever feeds on this bread, John 6, 58, will live forever. You want to be alive? You need Jesus. (laughs) And you don't just need him in an armchair Christianity kind of way. You need to feed on him. And you need to bring him really 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 close and now the coming to Jesus that Jesus is talking about in this section is is a coming to him for the first time and if there's anyone here today who hasn't come to Jesus for the first time you should do it because there's a life there that you won't find anywhere else you know it's 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 a an opportunity for you to believe in Jesus and take him deep into your being for the very first time and this is what Jesus is talking about But what we've also seen in John chapter 6 is that this feeding on Jesus, this life that Jesus talks about, goes on and on and on. It's it's a continuous thing. So you know what that means? That means everyone else who knows Jesus in this room who has fed on him for the first time, we're in play as well on this one, right? Because we're the ones that Jesus goes, you know what? It's normative for you to feed on me, to eat and drink me really really deeply look at this in verse 56 and i could preach for the rest of the year on this verse and i won't because it's going to pop up again in um in john chapter 15 look what happens whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him you become one with him like food and drink 
He becomes one with you, you become one with him. Now, some of you might go, Pete, it's all well and good to talk about life, but it looks like in this passage, the kind of life that Jesus is referring to as eternal life. And that's actually true. And so some of you might go, well, do we just have to wait for eternal life? And you know what I'd say to you? Not according to John. Look at John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. When does it start? The moment you feed and drink Jesus, feed on and drink Jesus for the very first time. You get eternal life. <laughs> How good is that? You, you get it by knowing Jesus. You know, humanity's not designed to have life in and of ourselves. We need to come to Jesus. And then later on in John, and we're going to get to it in uh, 2032, but in John chapter 10, all right? In John chapter 10, listen to this. You know this scripture well, many of you. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. That is the goal. And not just in heaven. It's abundant life now so let me ask you a couple of questions to finish off this section here's the first one are you feeding on jesus deeply here's the second one how abundant is the life within you be honest about this one. Um, I said to someone the other day, I said, I'm pretty, pretty sure the shine's rubbed off 2022 by now. And someone said, well, I don't think it ever had any shine uh, on it. And uh, there's probably, probably some truth in that. Um, but uh, where are you up to? Uh, like I said earlier, like if, if you feed on death, you'll get death that's how it works and uh, I just asked a question and it's not a challenge or a, a rebuke of any sort it's, it's a genuine question how much life is spurting up within you and and look I'll be honest with you there are times where it can be hard to have this um, this life spurting up within you some things can stop it all right but do you know the normative way of doing the Christian life is that you feed on Jesus, you, you, you drink deeply from Jesus, and life wells up in you. And people around you sometimes ought to question, so where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? And um, is, is that where you're at at the moment? I mean, it may be that you need some, some pastoral help or someone to walk alongside you. We'd love to do that. There's, uh, there's different seasons that people walk through. Maybe, maybe you and, you're not feeding and drinking from Jesus very deeply. Maybe that's what's wrong. Or a hundred other things. But this is where we're going, right? This is, uh, this is normative. Imagine this number of people getting out amongst the world in Toowoomba, all these people that don't know Jesus, and you're making them ask all over the place, like, where do you get that? 
Number three, verse 60 to uh, 71. That's where we're going to finish today. Uh, your call. Eating and drinking, Jesus. Eating and drinking for life. Your call. Um, you know what Jesus does at the end of uh, John 6 is um, basically everything that he said up until this point fragments the crowd. Um, and Jesus has um, this kind of effect on people. I mean, there's times in the uh, Gospels where Jesus has a massive crowd with him and he seems to really suck at handling crowds at a human level. You just go, you don't say that. You know, don't, don't say that. I mean, if you had a PR a guy or woman, they'd be pulling him aside and saying, you don't say that. When you get 4,000 people or 20,000 people, which is an estimate of how many were fed at the feeding of the 5,000, um, because the text says it was 5,000 men, uh, you, you just don't say that stuff. But you look even just in John 6, verse 41, the Jews grumble about Jesus. Verse 52, the Jews disputed among themselves. Some obviously agreed with Jesus and some didn't. Verse 61, a wider group of Jesus' disciples grumbles about what he's saying. Uh, verse 66, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. And then even in verse 12, <laughs> he says to his own disciples, the 12, he says, he says, do you guys want to walk away as well? And the question's cashed out in the, in the negative. And you know what this highlights for us? It highlights for us that with Jesus, you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with him. You just do. You know, some people will say that Jesus is a nice guy who said lots of nice things. I miss some of the Gospels, but that's what some people say. And in some ways it's true, but Jesus won't let you do that. Some people like to say that Jesus is a wise sage. And it's true, in a sense. But he won't let you see him that way. You know, Jesus has a way of resisting our definitions of him. And this is good because our tendency with Jesus is to kind of pigeonhole him and just work him out. But you can't work Jesus out. You hear that? You just, you can't work him out. You can't pin him down. You have to do something with him. He pressed and pressed and the Jews had to do something with him. He pressed and he pressed and the broader group of disciples had to decide what they were going to do with him. And he presses you and he presses you right now. And you have to decide what you're going to do with him. And it's not just a question of, this is something for the people who aren't Christians. No, this is for the Christians as well. He asked that question of the 12 disciples, didn't he? Do you want to go away too? And this is what he says to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And I come back to the questions that I asked earlier to close. And, and this is them. Do you want Jesus that close? put it the way Jesus would say, are you eating his flesh and drinking his blood?
do you do you want him to make his way into every nook and cranny of your life? It will be good for you if he did. That's what we're all about here at Restoration Church is that God's restoring people and he restores people by Jesus, his son, coming so very close. So I guarantee you it will be good for you and it will be right for you. But you can't have it halfway. You're either in, all in, or you're out. I want him like that. And I believe that there's a lot of you that do too. And even for some of you, you're probably a bit nervous because, and C.S. Lewis wrote an amazing piece about this. He said that, you know, we have this tendency to get God in as some kind of repair person in our house. We let him in the front door and all of a sudden he's putting an extension on somewhere and we just want him to fix the pipes, right? And then you can leave. But the reality is that he, um, he's building a mansion and he's got to get into everything. You know that you've been eating death. That's something that you should talk to him about. Because I, I want to tell you something. If Jesus says something is death and it will kill you, it's death and it's going to kill you. You hear that? And so, not, I don't mean to rouse on you. Please don't hear it this way. Stop doing it. Stop feeding on death in the hope that it's going to bring you life. And turn from it. I don't know what you're doing in your private personal lives. I know what some of you are doing because you share stuff with me and I appreciate you doing that. But in a group this size, there's things that are going on that other people just don't know about and you're feeding on death. And don't think that it's not going to get you. That's the lie. If you think it's not going to get you, you've just bought the lie. Listen to Jesus about what he says is life and what's death. And maybe what you can do as you examine your heart is, um, is you can turn from that and you, you can ask Jesus to forgive you. For being stupid. Like, let's just be honest. We're all stupid sometimes, aren't we? We feed on stuff that think, we think is going to give us life, but it gives us death. That's one thing you could talk to Jesus about. You could tell Jesus you just want some more of him. That would be cool. <laughs> you want him closer? You could, and I reckon a lot of you would do this. You could say to him, I reckon there's some areas in my life where you're not in yet. I'd really like you to get in there. You just like bust in there. Now, that's a brave prayer. That's a good one, though. Sound with me on that? So I bust in there. We all know, like, there's parts of your life, there's parts of my life, it's like, whoa, man, there's, there's still a fair bit of death reigning in there. So no better place to get the one who is the author of life, the one who is life itself, than in a place where there's death. And then you can just tell him whatever you want. Psalm 62 verse 8 says to pour out your heart toward him. So if you've got something on your heart, you should just tell him. Whatever that is.
Jesus was all in for you. Paul writes about that in um, in Romans. And it's a promise not just for your forgiveness and cleansing, but it's a promise for the future. He, he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he also, how will he not also along with him give us all things? Jesus, you, um, you know us well. Uh, scripture speaks of us before we came to you as the unfaithful ones who walked away from you. But you, the faithful one, came. You took on human flesh and you paid the price to restore us. And we are on the road to being more and more faithful to you every day. And so, God, at the end of um, this part of the service, I just on behalf of everyone uh, who's, who's just said that they're all in, <laughs> we want to not hesitate. Yeah, we, we don't want to hedge our bets when it comes to you and how much we commit to you. We know that you are good. And we thank you that you, Jesus, were all in. And the result was just magnificent. I pray that you would help us, help me, to abandon ourselves to you. And stop trying to keep things in reserve. Stop trying to feed on things on the side and go to you, the great, the great feast, the great feast for our souls.